Welcome to the Starnet Regions 1 and 3 podcast. Illinois Starnet envisions a future where early childhood professionals and families have the supports needed to provide all children with a high-quality, equitable education in inclusive environments. Starnet's mission is to promote evidence-based inclusive practices for young children with disabilities, professional development to support educators and families, meaningful child outcomes through innovative and engaging learning experiences. To find out more about Starnet Regions 1 and 3, please visit starnet.org home. Welcome to the Starnet Regions 1 and 3 podcast. I'm Bridget Meese, an early childhood special education professional development provider. I'm joined here today with Angie Kendall from Hand in Hand, based in Bettendorf, Iowa. We're going to talk today about community-based organizations, specifically Hand in Hand, and the supports that are offered from birth through adulthood. Angie, please tell us a bit about yourself, your background, and your program. Well, I'm really excited to be here today. Um, I'm Angie Kendall, graduated from Iowa State University. And uh, spent some years in high school doing after-school care. Always um, had a passion for working with children, you know, babysitting when I was 12. And then um, went to Iowa State where I graduated with a degree in child, adult, and family services. During that time, I worked at ChildServe, which has some similarities to where I ended today. Relocated to the Quad Cities. um, And we actually live in Pleasant Valley, a tiny little town in the Quad Cities, with my husband. And in my career here, I started at a local provider of really great services, Skip Along, um, spent some time in child abuse prevention education, primary prevention education and supports, uh, and eventually found my way to fund development and spent several years as a development officer, both for what the time was called Child Abuse Council and then to the Genesis Foundation, as I had aspirations to um, be a leader in a nonprofit and you have to be able to raise money. So that was an intentional career move. About that time, I or a few years prior to that, uh, when I ended up at Hand in Hand, I was asked to join the board of directors and spent a couple of few years doing that volunteer work. And then our founder, and I I know we're going to talk about our story of our founding in a little bit, decided to retire. So I applied for his um, position to take over at Hand in Hand and because of its similarities to child serve and its focus on family support and early childhood it kind of felt full circle like coming back home a little bit so that's where i am today and i started in april of 2020 which um don't recommend yeah 0 out of 10 on starting at during covid that had to have been a challenge especially trying to keep things going within the program mm-hmm. um, for all parties involved Right. And right. starting a new position. Yes. Yeah. We were closed down for a short bit um, and did relaunch pretty quickly. Uh, but I met my entire team of direct reports via Zoom for quite a while before I met them in person. So <laughs> it was interesting. Um, but we did a lot of bonding for things that we never thought we would do, you know? And, and COVID threw us all off, but you, you learn through it and you work through it. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Opening back up, especially as we'll talk, we serve um, children of all abilities in an inclusive setting. And parents um, were all struggling during that time. I had a two-year-old and a four-year-old during that time. I was, I called my brother crying, begging him to come stay with us for a little bit to help. 
And um, parents of children with disabilities were, you know, even more impacted. And I remember the first day we reopened, I stood outside greeting the parents, um, you know, with a mask far away, smiling at them. Hopefully my eyes showed my smile. And I watched a parent sit back in her car and just start crying because she had a kiddo who really could not be left unattended uh, and be safe. But she also needed to work. And so that was um, an incredible relief to her and uh, a very uh, moving time, moving point, you know, after several weeks of wild stress. So it was it was worth it at that point. So it sounds like even from the beginning, you were making an impact within the community. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about Hand in Hand? Um, Just kind of walk us through what services you offer, how you work in the community, that type of stuff. Absolutely. Uh, The story of Hand in Hand is one of my most favorite to tell. Um, and I got to hear it again recently from our founder at an event we were at together. Uh, Hand in Hand started in the year 2000. Two sets of parents had children with disabilities and said, our children want the same opportunities as their peers. And Mark Smith, being one of those um, parents, had a background in camp, summer camps at the Y. So they did one week of summer camp. And he recalls being like praying, I hope people have an interest. They had like posted in the paper that they were going to do something and they showed up and there was a line out the door and they were very moved by the support and the clear indication that they were, they were meeting a need. And so they did their first week of camp and basically they went out to Camp Abe Lincoln, a Y um, site and did all the things that Camp Abe Lincoln does but adapted everything, right? So we're doing fishing and horseback riding and hay rack riding. We're just making it work for the individual needs of all the children. Uh, That year, camp closed down. They're not sure. Are we going to be able to do something again? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, Mark distinctly remembers shoveling his um, driveway when his wife, Vinny, came out with the first $10,000 donation. And she said, we get to do it again. And it grew then from one week of camp to two one-week camps, Um, relying heavily on volunteers, and we still do today. So we just finished our 24th camp this past July. And uh, it is now at Scott County Park, but still the same feel of just a wonderful, fun summer with adapted activities. It is um, fulfilling for our employees and for the volunteers. We get so many incredible people who take time out of their day to to join us. And um, I was just reflecting recently on what it means to be a nonprofit and and how you have to serve your mission. But your mission needs to be informed by a need. And in my opinion, your need needs to be informed by those that you're serving. And that was the root of how Hand in Hand started. We started this camp because parents were there and their children wanted to participate. And camp started growing a little bit. And then parents are saying, hey, we need other things. We need night and weekend respite and recreation activities. So we still offer that today. We um, have several activities during the week. Typically Tuesday nights, we do some sort of fitness activity, swimming. Uh, We use Can Play, which is an Iowa-based organization for adaptive parks and rec style sports. Um, And those activities are, again, informed by our participants. Their favorites are Saturday night socials, movie nights, cooking with friends. They get to pick the menu. Um, parents get respite. Our participants, children and adults have a fun time with their peers. And, and that program has since grown. Just last weekend, we went to Adventureland, uh, an amusement park here in Iowa. It was about a three-hour drive. We got a grant, chartered a bus down there. It's had a really great time. 
um, kept growing. We do inclusive childcare. We do childcare six weeks to 18 years. And um, we're really, really adamant that we remain inclusive in that care, that we don't provide care for strictly children with disabilities or strictly children who would be in general education or don't have a disability or a diagnosis, but that we adapt to meet the individual needs of those um, of those kiddos. And um, just three years ago, I believe it was, it was right after COVID, so it was in 21, two years ago, we um, expanded that and opened another offsite location for summer care because the demand is so great. And um, we've had to make some adaptations over the years. I know our school age program after school, transportation is a massive challenge. So a few years ago, two, I think, we realized, man, in after school, we only have kids with disabilities. That's not what this is about. And so we obtained a grant and got a bus and started busing from the school so that we could support more inclusion and provide care for um, even students who may not have a diagnosis or a disability, but really need a smaller group size and need a different kind of format than we have typically in after school programs without transportation, which are often in cafeterias or gyms, which can be successful for a lot of students, but can be very overwhelming for others. Um, we then, you know, parents, all these children that we had in 2000 are adults now. And so a few years ago, parents were saying, now what? And um, in addition to ensuring that we stay true to our mission, we're not interested in duplicating services, but we know that there are not enough services for people with disabilities. So we're going to serve um, the population who needs it in our own way. So we launched a program called People with Purpose. That is an adult program. It's adult day hab. And we stole a little bit and they know we stole it. So like people can tell them this from Clubhouse International, which is a mental health model for um, mental health support. And so we built a clubhouse and we have partners who did the same thing for brain injury survivors. They're called Empower House. They're an incredible organization. And in this space, which is designed to serve only 20 adults a day, it is a small program. We have adapted a lounge space, an office, rec area, an adaptive kitchen, laundry, and our participants work on their independent skills. And they also spend an enormous amount of their time volunteering at over 30 other local nonprofits. They're incredibly valuable members of our community, learning their independent skills and also having a great time. Um, you know, evolving from there looks different right now. We just, or last year, we launched a teen program, um, partly because our, well, primarily what happened is we had kids who became adults. They turned 18 during the school year and they can still stay in school. They were in project search and other programs, but our licensing consultant said they can't be in your program anymore. Well, we still have parents who are working and need after school care. So we needed a solution for these 18 to 22-year-old high school students. And at the same time, we noticed a lot of our 16, 17, 18-year-olds in our after-school program were kind of bored, which, I mean, most 16, 17, and 18-year-olds are either working with for us, right, or not hanging out with seven-year-olds because that's just not their jam. So uh, we launched a teen program that utilizes that same clubhouse in the past year. And, um, you know, that's, that is... The story of how we started and how I, as a leader, strive to continue that legacy. So 
What do you say as the benefits that Hand in Hand offers for the community? I know that you've talked a lot with um, how it's offering support for the families of children with disabilities. What about in the community as a whole? And um, as you're keeping it as an inclusive program, you've got some typically developing children there as well. How does that benefit all of the children involved as well as the wider community? Sure. Well, I have a couple of examples of that. Um, When we are out in the community and we try to be out in the community, I didn't mention our teen program actually ran over the summer as well. And they did a program without walls. They did not have a building to go to. Every day they were just out in the community. And the community benefits from one, being able to meet the incredible people that we get to work with every day and for understanding inclusion themselves. Years ago, Mark, our former CEO, one of his favorite, favorite programs was bowling. We had an enormous bowling league every year. The year of COVID, we didn't do bowling for obvious reasons. And then we brought it back the next year. And it was interesting. We showed up at the bowling alley and two other agencies were there at the same time. And previous, I should mention, our previous bowling program did pull from other agencies. It was very uh, partner-based. And our team said, well, they're already there. And I said, okay, message received, guys. Our job is to figure out how to do inclusion. We did it. We figured out how to be inclusive in this way. Everyone else is doing it now. Now it's our time to be innovative in a new way, right? So we modeled it. We did it. They took it over. Great. Now we're free to go figure out some other stuff. Um, And then I look at it from the benefit of what our participants and we all get, you know, diversity is a fact and diversity is a gift. And we all have a different way to look at the world. And by exposing our children and adults to different abilities and different needs, we create empathetic people. When my son, who comes to after-school program as a typically developing child, walked into a building about the time he was six, we pulled up to a building and he said, mom, how would you even get in there if you had a wheelchair? He doesn't see the world the way that I see the world. He doesn't see the world the way many people see the world. It's just automatically this world of accessibility. He's looking at this place like, Not all my friends could get in here. This is strange. We have, um, it is beautiful to watch our children interact and our children collectively, hand in hand children that we all um, take ownership of and pride and um, love so much that when we have two preschool children and, or two school age, I think there were kindergartners this year talking, the little girl was, um, talking about her friend and how some of her friends are different and some of her friends are the same. And her teacher said, well, how are you different from this other little boy who has Down syndrome? And she said, well, he's blonde. I'm brunette. He's a boy. I'm a girl. And she listed all of these things. The fact that he's nonverbal didn't make the list because that is irrelevant to her. Um, they're great friends. They were great buddies all summer long. And that compassion and empathy, I have so much hope Um, for our future, when I look at our kids and the experiences we're able to give them. And um, it's incredible to offer that gift. And then at the same time, the individuals with disabilities are also with peers of the same age. We have a kiddo um, with SLOS, um, a rare diagnosis. And the first time he walked, he walked into our preschool classroom. He's walking with our peers, with his peers at that point. And that you could have heard the cheers outside of our building 
because every staff member and every child was advocating for him and cheering for him. And this little boy walked for the first time. Um, It was just incredible. What a wonderful way to have that impact, though. You're starting at the at the beginning where children are. This is setting their foundations for life on the way Mm -hmm. they the world. And so 20 years from now, when, when we see these children going out into the world and viewing things differently, they're going to look at it from that lens of, oh, can everyone access this? Can everyone mm-hmm. be a part of this? Right. Absolutely. So you and I had a conversation not that long ago, and we talked about um, the activity that you put on, which was Tools Not Toys. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that activity and how it impacts the local schools? Sure. That was such a fun activity. We um, approached a local group for a grant of $10,000 and we purchased materials, excuse me, that we put together. We purchased materials and called this project Tools Not Toys. And we selected a lot of different items that can promote classroom inclusion, that can help a child regardless of diagnosis, disability, doesn't matter, can help any individual uh, attend and succeed and feel safe in their classroom or sport. So we had about 24 items in a duffel bag. We had fidgets. We had a breathing ball. We had a TheraBand, which we cut so that teachers or paras or any other professional could cut it to length, tie it around the front legs of a chair so a child could kick it, push, fidget a little bit. We had a visual timer. We had a wobble seat. Um, There were several different items that we put in there. We had Velcro, adhesive Velcro, so you could just cut part of it, stick it underneath a table or a desk, and you can feel that. Um, And then we developed a little uh, trifold. And gathering these materials, we talked to teachers and therapists about, like, what's working? What are you not seeing that's working? We developed a trifold that explained how to use the tools and why they might be helpful. And then we engaged community volunteers. So we have a monthly giving giving program called Empowerment Partners, and they're individuals who help us sustain our operations. As you can imagine, it's actually nearly impossible for us. Well, it is impossible for us to charge enough to cover our staffing levels. And so they came together and put these kits together. So it was an opportunity for us to speak to our empowerment partners and say, this is adaptive technology. These are things that can be put into place so that any individual can have their needs met. And then we also talked about what a tool is. And for that audience, I could say, you know, the thing is, what I've said so many times in my career is fair isn't everyone getting the same thing. Fair is everyone getting what they need. And for me, I need glasses. And for someone else, they may need a seat to sit in. They may need a visual timer. Whatever that is, we can provide it to promote inclusion. So we had a wonderful night learned a lot, put 50 kits together. And the next day we deployed and we started with teachers and professionals in our network. And we thought we're going to get the best feedback from them. And we delivered them to schools. Oh my gosh, Bridget, we were just overwhelmed with thank you cards and emails. And it was like, I think two people said, it's like Christmas. And they were so excited for these tools. And then we created a little QR code so that they could give us feedback, like what fidgets work, what doesn't work, what broke, what didn't break. And our hope is 
to continue this process. And, and we have had conversation with local foundations, school foundations in particular, who want to support it. Um, because frankly, a lot of these things often come out of teachers' private pocketbooks, right? And so it's a great way to support these teachers and also send a message like, we're here to support you. We want to partner with you. And then it's a great way to educate individuals who don't know these things. And um, it's also a, it's a toolkit. So you can try different things. I just spoke to a teacher at my um, kiddos football game recently, and we were talking about trying the different things for different kids, you know, like, oh, that didn't work. And one of them, he broke. Um, but, you know, like these are different things that we can try. And then once we figure it out, we narrow down. Now we know what you need and we can make sure you have that support all the time. Well, and one of the things I really appreciated about what you just said was how anyone could benefit from it. So not just a child with a disability, but possibly even a typically developing child, which really introduces that concept of universal design for learning into um, the community or into the local schools, things that they may not have thought of before, but they can see it and see how easy it is that everyone could benefit from it. Absolutely. We we talked a little bit about universal design in our trifold. And, you know, it's interesting, even if you think of universal design from an interior decorating and planning standpoint, that's what we did when we built our clubhouse. And so our cabinets are lowered to ADA height and we have a nine inch toe kick on the bottom of all of our lower cabinets. And so our dishwasher in that facility has a nine inch toe kick and then the typical lift that a dishwasher has. So for those of you who are like, what's a toe kick? Because my husband's in construction, so I know these words. Um, it's a, how much your ca your cabinets or dishwashers raised off the ground. When we had people come in from the community, our funders who had funded that, we had people who were short who said, oh my gosh, why aren't all counters this, or upper cabinets this low? I could actually get into things. And then we had people who were really tall, like, I want my dishwasher this high. I'm so tired of bending over to the ground to get dishes. And it's this moment where we talk to people in the community and say, yeah, if we use universal design, everyone benefits. And it was just an incredible opportunity to host those conversations in real life. This has been a wonderful conversation. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we wrap up? I just appreciate um, the opportunity to share. And for any listeners out there who can connect, surely there's a way we can do that to learn from one another. It can be a very lonely place um, providing specialized services for children with disabilities, because quite frankly, there just aren't enough supports uh, and there's not enough funding. And um, it's also the right thing to do. But it's it's astonishing how hard we make the right thing to do sometimes. So I would welcome any opportunity to connect with anyone around the state, around the world, wherever it is, to learn from one another and just appreciate the opportunity to talk about inclusion and disability. It's um, It's an important topic. And I hope that at least one person took something away that they can employ to make our world more inclusive. Well, thank you very much, Angie. And we'll list your um, program's website on the notes for the podcast, just so people can go out and see some of the things that you're doing. Excellent. I love that. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Starnet Regions 1 and 3 podcast. If you have any questions or concerns, please reach out by emailing starnet at wiu.edu 
or submit a request by clicking on the Request Services tab on our homepage.